A woman caught in adultery. Well, the sermon is entitled A Blank Called Caught in Adultery. We don't think, like to think that anyone could fall in this way, but the truth of Scripture is that anyone can, any of us. And I know that our church, in words indescribable, has been hit hard this week by the devastation and consequences of sin. But today I want us to look together to God's true and hopeful word. In this story, it's a woman caught in adultery, but like I said, it could be anyone. A man caught in adultery. A six-year-old, a 23-year-old, an athlete, scientist, seminarian, doctor, pharmacist, computer scientist, teacher, neighbor, accountant, a widow, a king, queen, president, a missionary, the pastor, Yes, even a pastor, the supposedly symbol of spiritual faith, the father protector of a church. And of course, as I'm saying all this, it doesn't excuse adultery and sin, and nor should it ever. It is one of the greatest sins because of its mass destruction. There's always so much more to it than that. It's something we're experiencing firsthand as a church right now and as individual human beings. And when your pastor or your friend or your brother or sister in Christ is not the person that you thought they were for so long, your whole world becomes confused. You know, what is church? What is Christianity? What is life? God, who are you? How do I even look at my Bible? That's how I felt so painfully on Friday morning as I looked at the Bible and just wondered, Lord, is this still pure and perfect? Let me list out and share some feelings that I've felt and that I've heard that we've felt these past few days. Anger, that was always the immediate one. Shock, confusion, devastation, betrayal. Revenge, wanting them to hurt like you do or wanting them to hurt for what they've done. Sadness. If you're distant from one of the people involved, then sadness always comes earlier. If you're very close to them, then sadness actually comes later because the other emotions tied to betrayal and anger just come first. Depression. That's still yet to come for us because we've not been quite alone and with everything yet, heartbrokenness. A feeling we all have, because you can be personally heartbroken over yourself. It's okay to grieve you. It's okay for you to feel like you are the one who needs time, who needs so much. You could be number one for a little bit, maybe a while, 
maybe at random times where you might break down and fall your eyes out and wonder why you've been allowed to experience and to hurt. God gives you the freedom, the space, and the right. These are ways of God allowing us to pour our hearts. And as our brother Ryan started our worship with Psalm 62, Psalm 62.8 reminds us that God says, trust in him, God, at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, him. God is a refuge for us. Some of the other feelings are self-righteousness. Revenge, like I mentioned earlier, and these are a couple of the emotions and things that we experience that I see scripturally that can very easily destroy us. And that's why I want to preach this morning, preach a message of grace against these things. Even as we're grieving and torn, as we're healing, that we will be cautious of these feelings that we have of wanting to take vengeance or to do something at times. And that's why in this story from the book of John, written by the Apostle John, in John 7, 53 through 8, 11, we take a look and we see that uh, Jesus Christ is teaching. Uh, in verse 2, we can see that it was early in the morning when he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down, and he was just teaching them. This is part of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry to teach God's word, and the beautiful thing is that people were just surrounding him. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. It was a life as they knew it at the time. But then comes verse 3 through 6 when it says that the religious leaders, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. The completely unexpected happened. The religious leaders are trying to entrap Jesus, and they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery into the midst of everybody. And they challenge Jesus and say, well, what do you think? What will you do, Jesus? Well, Jesus followed the law that says anyone caught in adultery must be stoned to death. That would be justice. That would be right and fair. Or, on the other side, other hand, will he show compassion, the compassion and the grace that he's been actively teaching in his ministry? Because when they brought that woman in, he had been actively teaching through his whole ministry compassion, mercy, forgiveness, repentance, grace, salvation that people must turn to him for salvation because he is a living water, bread of life, word of life, light of the world, 
Savior of the whole earth. And John 3, 16 and 17 say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And get this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent Jesus not to condemn, but to save. Like the scribes and Pharisees are trying to do, they're trying to entrap Jesus. My beloved church, in the same kind of way, Satan wants to do the same thing to us. Satan knows that is easier and more instinctive and feels better and and, and right for us to condemn, to judge, to obliterate, to destroy, to plot revenge, to murder in our hearts, at the very least. I said earlier in this message that if you are going through these things, that's fine. You are right to feel those things. But we cannot forget, even now at a time like this, the center of Christ's heart, which is grace. It's grace. Grace and justice mingled together that flowed down through the blood of Jesus Christ as he was dying for sinners who so do not deserve him and his mercy. Grace and justice. Satan will try to make you think, oh, just easily forgive him or her and just forget it. Just move on. That's not grace or forgiveness. That's just forgetting. And and that bitterness will destroy you and your relationship with God. Satan wants to say things like, oh, just condemn them to death. That'll make you feel better. That second one, that's not justice. That's revenge. That's revenge. And you will never heal. And as hard as it is, we come back to Scripture and we see how Jesus Christ responds. And the way he responds to this question, what do you say, is he bends down and he writes with his finger on the ground. And then verse 7, as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, I wonder, and a lot of theologians have wondered, um, what is Jesus Christ writing on the ground? We don't know. Was it the word of God? Was he doodling? Was he doodling like something really good? You know, it's like when you go into the kitchen and you just see someone cooking, you're like, oh, wow, what are they cooking, you know? What is he doodling on there? We don't, we don't know. And, and that, that, that's really not what matters right now. Okay, come on, come on now. Um, <laughs> but what matters is the fact that even after he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, Scripture says, and once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard what he was saying, when they saw just how he was just (laughs) 
calmly just writing something on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones and Jesus Christ, him only, him alone. He was left alone with the woman standing before him. What Christ teaches us is that unless you are without sin, you cannot be the ultimate judge. That is not our job as a church. It is not our calling from God as a church to, to judge or to condemn, but it is our calling from God as a church to push for repentance unto the stubborn-hearted is to pray for restoration of lost and broken sinners to Christ. It is to ask God that he would be glorified in all of this as we submit ourselves and trust him. Repentance, restoration to Christ, glory to God. Romans 12, 19-21 remind us, this is Apostle Paul's writing, Beloved, never... Avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This does not mean that when someone wrongs you or hurts you, that you just welcome them back in with an embrace. But what it does mean is that vengeance belongs to God. He will render judgment as he sees or grace. He will render the punishment due or mercy. That is up to God. But what he calls us as Christians and as sinners who are saved by the beautiful undeserved grace of Jesus is to show love in an appropriate way. That perhaps our trusting in God and our prayers for others' repentance, that God will use those things, and through that kind of grace, it will affect and touch someone from the inside out, and, and that Holy Spirit will use that to lead that person to repentance, to salvation. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The one who deserved to obliterate his enemies the most was Christ, but instead, he died for them. It wasn't before they were enemies or afterwards, but while they were still his enemies. Jesus Christ died for them. While we we're still sinners. Not before we sin, not after we committed whatever sin, but even during, even in that, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. In this story, in verse 10, Jesus Christ stands up. He stood up and he said to her, Woman, as they're alone, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you. And she said and replied, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What Scripture is showing is that Jesus Christ chose 
not to condemn, but to save. It's not like he wasn't hurt. It's not like God's heart is not broken. In fact, it's broken infinitely more than we could ever imagine. It's not like Jesus Christ did not experience betrayal. He experienced betrayal on the greatest kind by his closest friends, by his loved ones, by his own disciples. But Christ graciously sacrificed him on the cross because he is all about grace for the repentant. He says two things that I really want us to ask God to help us look to and believe in. He says two things in Scripture. He says two things to the adulterous woman who was caught in adultery. It is not like she deserves another chance or deliverance. The first thing that he says to her is, you are no longer condemned, but if you repent and put your faith in Christ, you are saved. There's no condemnation in Christ for those who have a repentant heart. People, sinners, must repent and surrender to God. Jesus Christ wants to save her. He wants to save her. That's the first thing. The second thing is he wants to set her free. He says to her, sin no more. Not to be perfect, but that you are now set free from having to be enslaved to entrapping sin that will send you to hell. Sin that destroys lives, countless lives, splits, fractures, obliterates families, churches, communities, friendships, marriages, all relationships. Yet the Bible says we, all of us, right here, we, we, right now, we are all sinners. Do you know that this sermon is for your own sin and my own sin? Do you still remember that, even during a time like this? Or are we one of the Pharisees and scribes believing that we are or can be better than the adulterous woman and even better than Jesus? That we would never do what she did. Jesus Christ wanted and wants to save her and number two, to set her free. He is so amazing even when the church is barraged by sin. He loves and cares for his bride, the church. Jesus Christ is the faithful husband. He is always faithful. He is always steadfast. He never betrays. And even when he is, he laid down his life for his bride, the church. You are so loved right now. Even in the midst of all this, Jesus Christ loves us, his bride, so much. He is holding you. As Deuteronomy 1 says, he is carrying you through the harshest time, harshest desert, as a man, as a faithful father would carry his son. Jesus Christ 
perfect husband who died for his unfaithful wife. And that's us, his beloved church. I end with two passages. I know it's a lot of scripture. It's almost like I'm preaching a Bible today or something. 1 John 1, 5 through 9. Let's listen to this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just and can do that in any person's life. This is what God's doing in our church and our lives. He is bringing to light out of darkness terrible sin that will otherwise rampantly and relentlessly continue to destroy. He is bringing people out of shackles to sin that would lead to eternal death and bringing them and transferring them by the power of his spirit through repentance and faith so that they may be transferred to the kingdom of heaven. He is rescuing lost souls, sons, daughters, who have disregarded and taken everything from him, but that he still loves and cherishes because that's the kind of God that we have. This is what God is doing. Whether it results in repentance or not, sin must be exposed. God will be glorified. People who confess and repent will be forgiven, and that is up to God, not to us. And I end uh, with the second passage. Again, Psalm 62.8. Jesus says, Trust in him. Trust in me, Jesus says, at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Jesus Christ is a safe place for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, you are here, you are with us during this time, and Jesus, I confess to you that if I bought every word of this, then in my faith, I would be a liar, Lord. Oh, God, just be with me. Be with us, oh, God, as we are going through this, as we are really venturing through the valley of shadow of death. There are so many different places. We are hearing your message of grace and forgiveness, and we are not saying that, Lord, this completely wrong or we completely don't want that but God we we are where we are and Lord we need to 
We need you, Lord. We need your healing. We need to remember that you say that you will heal the brokenhearted, that you are with us, that your loving embrace carries us through all of this. And that, Jesus, we ask that you would really just take a hold of everything right now, that you would instill faith into our lives, that you would give us time to, 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 to go through this, to pour our hearts before you, that you would remind us of how amazing your one and only sacrifice on the cross was, that it is a reminder to us that even right now we are no better. We are all sinners saved by your beautiful grace as your precious blood flowed from your head, from your hands, from everywhere. As you, O oh Jesus, gave up your life, as you, O oh Jesus, subjected yourself to the ultimate betrayal, to the ultimate abandonment, where you were alone on a cross, separated from your Father and Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus Christ, help us to trust in that sacrifice for sin. Jesus, help us to trust in your resurrection that there is healing, there is rebirth, there is renewal, there is redemption. Lord, be with us as a church as we are going through that and be with us um, as we continue to look to you and at this time, I, we ask that you would be with um, the different parties involved and just really do a miraculous work of your grace in their lives, that you restore them, not, not to, to, to people or to a thing, but Lord, ultimately and, and mainly to you, Lord. That's what you care about so much. That's what is at the center of your heart, Jesus, grace and justice that was satisfied and given at the cross. And we thank you in your name. Amen. Before um, the doxology, I, I just want to uh, take you know, a brief moment uh, for us to just